0: on Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the locked on podcast network,
1: your team every day.
0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Locked On Texans, your daily podcast covering your favorite football team every single day. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, along with my partner in crime.
1: The other half of the amazing Locked On Texans duo, I'm John, some sports guy Hickman on this fun Friday ahead of Sunday's matchup versus the Cleveland Browns, but as always,
0: thanks to the lack of natural athleticism or commitment fewer than one percent of one percent of one percent of people will ever play professional football but instead of entering the nfl they will join another league the league of football watchers these passionate fans are real generational talent that pepsi fuels because pepsi isn't made for those who play the game it's made for those who watch it
1: so it's been a couple of weeks and we have not had the opportunity to discuss Houston Texan football, at least on the show, on the podcast, which you can check out Monday through Friday on all of the major podcasting platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, and Spotify. But we have not had the opportunity to talk to Brandon Scott of 16. He's back with us today, our family member. And, you know, B. Scott, welcome back in. I'm going to call you B. Scott because we are cool like that. But welcome back in. The listeners, whether they listen to 16 faithfully uh, or locked on Texas, which is why they are here. They understand that Houston is going through a lot before we even get to the Texas. We don't know if Russ wants to stay here or he wants to go to New York. Now, PJ Tucker's angry. We're hearing from Trevor reason who hasn't played for the Houston Rockets in a couple of seasons. And so now we have to transition over to the NFL side of Houston sports two and six taking on Cleveland Browns on Sunday. We're going to discuss that in today's show, but I want to hop right into talking about Amy Pouchik, the VP of communication, former VP of communication for the Houston, Texas who will let go. Who's let go. I'm sorry. Let go on uh, Wednesday because she's no longer a cultural fit. Uh, Is there anything you can speak to that? First of all, welcome back into the show. Uh, But is there anything you can speak towards the firing of Amy this week?
2: Yeah, man. Well, first of all, I miss y'all, man. I'm glad to be back with the family. You know, uh, I think the word that describes Houston sports, Houston pro sports, at least at large right now is dysfunction. That's the case. It seems like right now, to some degree, varying degrees, on each and every one of the teams. As far as with Amy Pouchett, I, I am not entirely sure why she was fired. And like, I, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I did reach out to her. I didn't hear back because I was genuinely curious on what happened. I thought the timing of it was the most shocking. Like There's going to be a lot of changes in this organization coming up. They fired the coach, who was also the general manager. They got new people coming in. You could imagine, and Jack Easterby still around, you could imagine that there were going to be some changes. And if for some reason, some odd reason still, they decided to get rid of Amy at the end of the season, that would have made more sense, or at least that could have been something that maybe you could justify. But to do it midway through the season, what good does it do your organization? What good does it do your team? what good does it do your culture to fire your top PR person, your top public relations person, midway through a struggling season, especially one as popular as Amy is. Now I will say this, my personal interactions, or I should say professional interactions with Amy have been positive. I've only known her about a year. They've been positive. Everybody doesn't all have the same stories, right? So I can only speak for myself in that regard but you saw what the response was on social media from really the folks who matter like the players and a lot of the national media folks who have dealt with the Texans Amy is widely respected in the business and so to make a move like that midway through the season is very curious and when you talk about a cultural fit there's nothing there's not a a cultural adjustment that you're really making midway through the season so it's very curious that you would do something like that. You think about the Bill O'Brien firing, right? Why would you fire Bill O'Brien four games into the season? Because he's 0-4. He's lost the team. You need a spark. The season's not necessarily over at 0-4. It's close, but you're trying to salvage something at that point. But with Amy, this just doesn't really seem to make much sense at all. That being said, we don't know all the details, everything that happened. So we kind of have to see how it all Plays out.
1: You know, we really don't. And I, when I say this, I'm always let me say this before I say it. This is what I feel. And I think it was due to who she embraced during the presidential election that uh, helped not helped, but aided towards why she was let go. That's my conspiracy theory, and I'm going to stick to it. But I think when we look at overall, she got fired. Chris Olsen was let go. Brad Seely retired after having the Texans ranked one of the best special teams in the league. We've heard from fr- our previous players regarding how this organization had been behind closed doors in the past. It seems like, to use the word cultural fit, which normally means some type of, you know, discrimination that she did hire a lawyer, uh, but to use that word cultural fit, it doesn't seem like there is a real culture. And that just, Speaks to where Houston is right now overall. Whether it's on the field, sitting at two and six, losing winnable games, or whether it's off the field in the front office, firing your GM head coach, assigning him to both positions in the first place. Uh, Cal McNair just doesn't seem to really have a grip on this organization, especially on the football side. I think overall, Sunday's matchup versus the Browns is definitely needed because they could use those good spirits. They could use a dub to get their minds off the abysmal season that they're in or that they're having right now.
2: Yeah, man, I agree with that. I I was talking to a couple of players earlier about just the importance of stringing together wins, you know, like the wins that they have now, they got two on the season. Both of them are against the Jaguars, you know, but they haven't obviously won one back to back or won a string of games. They have not, piece together back-to-back good weeks of football, at least not good enough to win, you know, for, for back-to-back wins. So, you know, I, I think that would do a, a, a lot for the team on the field. I think as far as off the field, though, the perception right now is what it is. I think the damage right now is done as far as how this organization is viewed. Some of the things that you just said I think ring true for a lot of people as far as the competence of this organization, the leadership, there is a question of whether there is a crisis in leadership, who's in charge and and whoever is in charge, does that person or people, do those people know what they're doing? Are they in over their heads? I feel like that's been the question about the Texans for the last maybe year and a half, two years or so are the Texans in over their heads and they still seem to be sort of that way. Um, and I think that's the, that's the, view on them right now and and they've kind of everything that has happened so far has made that justified and especially when you look at what the on-field product is showing you it's like it's like it's all bad right now so from it would be the Texans to create a PR crisis by firing their top PR executive like that is the most Texan thing you could do right now and it speaks to I think the lack of confidence and respect that people have with the organization right now, I will say this about the whole culture thing. I am really annoyed when culture is just used as a buzzword because culture is not just a buzzword. Like culture is really like a way of life and, and what your principles are and how you go about your business. And I feel like the Texans culture is inconsistent because at times they've done things really well. And at times they've done things that make you scratch your head. And so to be the arbiters of good culture or to use culture as, uh, as a way to get rid of somebody who has only been successful with you outside of whatever your political disagreements might be, Someone who's only been successful in your organization. This isn't this was not a Bill O'Brien situation, right? Amy Poussick was good at her job. Chris Olson, for what it's worth, was the salary cap expert for over a decade. And immediately after he's gone, they start agreeing to these ridiculous deals, overpaying for players, and all of a sudden they're spending more than anybody in the league like culture, I don't think is something that they can hold against somebody who has been successful and done good for them until they establish some level of consistency themselves, which they have not done.
0: Brandon, how much do you think the firing of Amy is going to affect this organization when they start looking at head coaches and start looking at general managers? Because, you know, me and John, we were talking about this on yesterday and, Amy isn't the first person who had a really ugly departure from the Houston Texans organization. And I do believe that there is a culture here with the Houston Texans. But from a source that I actually talked to, it's not the type of culture nobody wants to be tied to. And to be honest, the source that I talked to said that they honestly wish that Deshaun Wassett didn't sign the five-year contract, you know, tying him to this what is now looking at as a toxic culture?
2: Yeah. So the fact that he did, though, makes it still worth looking at, it makes it still worthwhile. Cause in theory, man, you could come here and get hired. I don't know about a GM. That's kind of a difference in there. But if you're a coach, you should, you would be salivating to come work with Deshaun Watson, especially depending on where you're at, like what your situation is. You know, like if you're one of these court, like who's the coach, right? That I think that's that matters. Who is the coach that they want to bring in? If it's somebody who's really looking for an opportunity like this, hell yeah, he wants to come and coach Deshaun Watson. You know, uh, organization be damned. Like, you know, if they just let him coach, if he doesn't have to be Bill O'Brien and he can just coach, that could work out for him. You know, now if, the, if it's somebody like, You know, Lincoln Riley, who is gravy where he's at, you know, and has no reason to come and go into something that's so uncertain and unsure. You know, he's that might not be his ambition because everything's working for him in Oklahoma. You know, that might not be that guy Um, where he might not be the one that looks at this culture and what's going on around the organization and think, "Ah, I want to uproot what I got going on to go trifle with that. You know, as far as the general manager is concerned, I'm really interested to see how that plays out because we still don't know exactly what the Jack Easterby dynamic and influence is. That remains a mystery, something that I think has to play out over the course of this process. And we will be following it and observing it very, very closely. You can believe that. But I don't feel like we have that answer yet. I think that the head, the coaching job is a lot more appealing than the general manager job because you don't know what kind of general manager job it actually is. And you know, unless you can get in here and figure out what is what exactly is the Easter B influence, what is that power dynamic, unless you can deduce that from your interview process or your, from your research or whatever it is, that seems to me to be a more or a less comfortable job. Whereas the coaching element of it. You think, well, I got Deshaun Watson. We've we've also thrown a boatload of money at a left tackle to protect Deshaun Watson. If we can do anything to piece together a defense, an offense led by Deshaun Watson has potential in it.
1: I just believe at this point, the football side of things may eventually have feigned on it and may become jeopardized just a little bit because of things that has happened outside of the field when we come back we're going to talk about the five and three cleveland browns and what do we really expect from this game on sunday is it winnable or will houston lose this game like they've done every other game outside of the two jaguars jaguar games and this football season will be a little bit different and pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through the game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans like you and I, like the entire world, especially after Thursday Night Football game, we're the real generational town that Pepsi fuels, right? We don't go out there on the field. We may not catch passes, but we are the passionate fans. And because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch the game. Pepsi, made for football watching.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Locked On Texans, only on the Locked On Podcast Network. Cody Davis, Johnson Sports Guy Hickman, along with our guy from Sports Radio 610, Mr. Brandon K. Scott. Brandon, um, the Houston Texans have a really big game coming up this Sunday playing against the Cleveland Browns, which is a really crazy time. That lets you know how crazy 2020 has been. It's the Texans versus the Browns in is Houston with the two and six record and the Brown who actually has the the winning record, the five and three record. You know, and I'm kind of conflicted by saying the Houston Texans is going to come away victorious. And I think I'm I'm gonna give my prediction about this game a little bit later, but I honestly do think the Cleveland Browns is gonna come away victorious. And I say that because You know how bad the Texans' defense has been at stopping the run, and not only do they have to go up against Kareem Hunt, but Nick Chubb is also making his return to the field as well. So when you look at that dynamic on the offensive side of the ball for the Cleveland Browns, how much do that dynamic running back system actually kind of strike some kind of fear into you when you're trying to find some kind of way to say the Texans is going to come away victorious?
2: Well, it strikes a lot of fear for me because I fully expect this to be one of those games that is one between the like between the tackles or within the trenches, as they say. And, you know, that's a cliche. People say that about or can say that about any football game. But it's going to be especially the case with this one because of the style, again, the style of team that we're talking about with the Browns that you mentioned in their running game. And then the weather is going to be a factor as well when you think about it, you know, it's gonna be cold and possibly rainy and, and windy and all of that. You know, so it's gonna be one of those environments where it's difficult to throw the ball. And I fully expect the Browns being used to being in that type of environment to rely on their really good running game. And again, I like I said, I don't expect there to this to be one of those games where you got a whole bunch of passing yards and they're just throwing it all over the field. But they do open up the play action with that, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how having both of those guys back there opens that up for them. Um, they are one of the best play action teams in the league, you know, and, and they're not, and it's not like they do it a lot. I, I want to say they're somewhere middle of the road. I think they're 16th in play action attempts, but like sixth in play action passing yards. So they are making the most of it when they do it. I don't know how that's going to factor in with the weather and all of that. But you look at the running game, Stefanski, zone blocking scheme, bringing in an old, basically a a Kubiak-esque type of scheme in here that we're going to be looking at. And you think about the Texans from their side of it. They have not been very good against the run really at all. You know, Anthony Weaver talked on – Thursday, I believe it was, about how they'd been doing pretty good in three of the last four games or four of the last five games against the run. I think he said three of the last four games against the run. But two of those games were against the Jaguars, who have a pretty decent running back in, uh, in the rookie, but they're the Jaguars. And then one of those, I want to say, was against the Packers without, uh, without Aaron Jones. So, and, you know, and then in between, somewhere in between there, you've got Derrick Henry running the length of the football field twice on him. You know, so, so this is not a good run defense. We all know this. this I'm not breaking any news there. Um, and I, I feel like this is the best running game that they faced since Derrick Henry. And it's more of a two-headed monster. But this is the best running game that they faced since Derrick Henry. And, uh, and I think it's going to be real rough on them. Um, and I, and I really look at both sides of the ball. I think about that, like, what are they going to do running the ball and defending the run? You know, say what you want about David Johnson. And I and like, I don't think anybody here is a David Johnson fan per se, but to, but to only have one running back whose work you're even familiar with in this game is also troubling. So I'm interested to see how things work out. In the trenches for these two uh for these two teams
1: very interesting you bring that up because you know as as you were discussing the defensive side of the ball i got to thinking about the browns defense which got me thinking about how the illusion that david johnson is strictly bad has been widely talked about but when you really look at the offensive line for houston they do not provide a push. They do not allow their running backs to have a chance to get towards a second level. Um, and so they're going into a game where they have Miles Garrett, who I think has nine sacks on the season so far. Yep. I mean, he's worth every penny on that contract. They're going up against Miles Garrett, and he can do everything how much of a how much of a disruptive force will he be for Houston uh, against Houston on Sunday and will we be able to see the duke johnson involved in every aspect of the game effectively on sunday as well
2: the duke johnson point you make is the one i'm most interested in just because of the workload that he's about to get and the fact that a lot of us have been calling for this, especially with the struggles that David Johnson has had. So, And, and then, of course, when David Johnson went out with the concussion with uh, in, the, in the Jaguars game, Duke Johnson comes in there, and to your point, this line does not get a lot of push. They do struggle in run blocking. But Duke Johnson was able to make lemonade out of lemons a lot of times. And I think it's just that element of it it's to think, hey, you know, if the, if this offensive line can get it together just a little bit, then you're better off with Duke Johnson getting the bulk of the carry. So I am interested to see how that plays out. As far as Miles Garrett, I mean, this guy is a beast, man. He's He is really about as good as it gets. Like next to Aaron Donald, and, and you know, Aaron Donald is an inside guy. This is this is the best in the league right now. I mean, he is he's kind it's JJ Watt-esque a little bit, you know, in terms of how disruptive and difficult he is to deal with. Now, I will say this as far as pass rushing goes, and again, talked about it earlier, I don't know how much of a passing game this will be without knowing for sure what the weather's going to be like, but knowing that that's a question. But as far as the passing game goes, man, I I am very intrigued by the Miles Garrett, Laramie Tunsil one-on-one. And I would imagine that to take the most advantage of Miles Garrett, they would minimize the times of Garrett and Tunsil going head to head.
1: I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I was going to mention if we get the Miles Garrett versus Laramie Tunsil, that will leave Olivier Vernon versus Howard. And right. then that will leave Sheldon Richard, Richardson. You can pick whichever interior offensive lineman. So across the board, they're just really good, and we're really bad.
2: Yes, yes, I think that's very well said. The very succinctly said and well said by you, Judd. That is exactly right. Uh, I mean, you asked about Miles Garrett, and he is a he is a wrecking ball. But it, it is also true that across that defensive line, you mentioned Vernon and Richardson across the line. They are man for man better for the most part. I think except for the, the, the Miles Garrett, Laramie Tunsil thing, I think is more of a wash. But when you go across the rest of the line, I agree with the point you're making. They are, their guys are better than the Texans guys. I, I think that's just a matter of fact. And so it will be, uh, it's going to be a, a major challenge. And I think it's going to be up to, that's what's going to be so interesting about the coaching I think it's going to be up to the coaching staff to try to accommodate or compensate for the fact that they don't, their guys are not as good as the guys that they're going up against.
0: Brandon, when you take a look at our offense, of course, you know, everybody knows about Deshaun Watson, but how, Exciting has it been for you to see the dynamic duo between Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller actually come to life, especially after the slow start to the season both of those guys had, especially for Brandon Cooks?
2: Yeah, it's been really good, especially for Deshaun, I think. Like, I think there was a legitimate concern, especially you know, particularly in the early part of the season when it wasn't looking so great that you take away this guy's best weapon, and expect him to get better somehow, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it didn't seem like it was happening. And then, you know, time goes on and they get it together. I think that they've put the work in and you can see that they talk about the chemistry being there more so now than it was before. I can remember Randall Cobb telling us, want to say leading up to the Chiefs game, maybe either right before the the season opener against the Chiefs or right after somewhere around there telling us that, you know, they him and Deshaun had thrown to each other maybe a third of the amount of times that they would have in a normal offseason for guys, especially for guys who were playing together for the first time. So I think you saw a little bit about a little bit of that early on in the season of just a lack of chemistry, a lack of time and 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 also not really knowing what they wanted to do. And now they've kind of figured it out a little bit more and you can see the progression. I think it's important. You talk about Fuller and cooks. I think it's important to see how they look together because that factors in a lot into how you're building the team in the future. Cooks is somebody that you can keep or that you have under contract um, for a reasonable clip and, and who you obviously gave up a second round pick for. So, You know, you want to, you want that to be a productive player. And then with Will Fuller, obviously he's his own story, right? You know, expiring contract. What do you want to do with him? What's his future look like with the team? So at this point, it looks pretty good. You know, the offense, I think, could still take some more steps, could still be even better. I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive line and its inconsistency. But so far, so good. I mean, it it is the the part worth watching like when I when I don't want to be upset and and when I'm watching the Texans I watch the offense when I'm you know when I'm trying to get my blood boiling or when I you know <laughs> when I'm ready to get worked up I watch the defense so I mean I, I'm liking it so far it's, it looks a lot better now even the play calling you know um I think Tim Kelly's got probably got places where he can grow but you could see. Where at least there seems to be more of a, a little bit more of a plan and, and more confidence. You know, they talk about Will we Fuller playing with more confidence. I think that's true for all of them. The, the the offense as a whole.
0: Brandon, real quick before getting out of here, give us your predictions for Sunday's game. Predictions for Sunday's game. So
2: I'm gonna go with the Cleveland Browns, 19. Houston Texans, 13. That's my prediction. And and an and, actual, to me, and to me that's a high scoring game for, for this one.
1: I think that's an actual fair score. I also want to ask you, we saw a, a lot of Jonathan Gunnar before we move on and get yes. out. Yes. 83% of the defensive snaps he played on. We saw more of Ross Blacklock, saw four percent of John Reed. We know Bradley Roby is coming back. We also know that Phillip Gaines isn't good. We know that that former first-round draft pick Vernon Hargraves isn't good. Yes, um, Are we going to see more? Should we see more of these rookies play some damn football?
2: We ask about them every week, John. I think that is – I was saying this on my podcast earlier in the week, actually, that Texans fans seem united, totally united in – Campaigning for more rookies. Whether you've punted on the season or not, whether you're holding out a logical hope on the season or not, I feel like everyone who's interested in the Texans is interested in these rookies. And I think that's largely because there's a little panic about the last few rookie classes. Like there's not a lot of gems in there that you can really point to. I feel like Titus Howard (laughs) might be the one. And so This rookie class, especially considering what all is tied to, I mean, you would, I I guess you could consider this Bill O'Brien's lone draft as general manager, the definitive Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby draft. Um, You look at John, John Grenard and the fashion in which he was picked, seemed like they wanted to trade that pick to Detroit. Seemed like Bill O'Brien was yelling at Jack Easterby on the TV screen or on the Zoom screen about the pick. And so you wonder what the hell was going on into the thought process when they even picked him. But you feel like you got a player. I mean, he led the SEC in sacks and tackles for loss. You feel like he's got to have something there. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think that the fact that the rookies went out there last week against the Jaguars and looked competent, looked able didn't look lost was the best thing that you can say about them and when you consider what this defense has looked like all season there is not a reason not to put them out there and to let them figure it out and to also figure out what exactly you did with these draft picks like how well did you draft you're not really playing for much right now so you might as well figure that out sooner rather than later
0: Brandon K. Scott from Sports Radio 16. Brandon, before we let you go, where can our listeners follow you at on Twitter? I'm pretty sure they already follow you by now. This is what, your sixth, seventh time on Locked On Texans this year?
2: Man, but just in case. I mean, just in case this is somebody that's listening to the Locked On for the first time for some for whatever reason. In case it's somebody that's been asleep on the Locked On Texans podcast all of this time. I don't know where y'all been at. I don't know what podcast, what Texans podcast y'all been listening to but this is the one that you need to be listening to. And partly because I be on here every now and then or once a week. So I'm <laughs> i so I'm, a, I'm a plug the locked on Texas podcast just in case you had never, had never listened before. Keep listening. And you can find me at Brandon K Scott. And I'm also at sports radio 610. If you follow sports radio, six tens Twitter account, you kind of follow me too. I don't be tweeting all of that stuff. I don't want to take credit for everything. And or, or to blame for some of the stuff that go wrong. But that's me over there running that, too. So, at Brandon K. Scott, at Sports Radio 610. And you can also catch me at the B Block. So, on the B Block podcast, I talk about Houston sports and, uh, and all of the foolery that is going on in Houston pro sports at the moment. And so, you can get my thoughts there. And, uh, yeah, man, it's family.
1: That was the family, Brandon K. Scott, over at 610 Radio Uh, always enjoy having him on mainly because you guys don't hear the conversations we have before the show and those conversations are always fun hilarious enlightening uh just a combination of a few things and so uh it always sets a good precedent for the actual show that we do whenever he comes on on thursdays so super happy to have him back um we, we, shoot, we do the show on Thursday nights, comes out on Friday. So I'm happy to have him back. But the Cleveland Browns are the Houston Texans' next task. And he mentioned something. It's very important for this team to build some confidence for themselves and string together multiple wins. And it could very much so start on Sunday with Cleveland. Uh Baker Mayfield was activated from the COVID-19 reserve list, so he'll be playing. Nick Chubb will be back on Sunday. So I fully expect the Cleveland Browns to rush for over 120 yards. Uh, however, we don't know what the weather is going to be like in Cleveland. It could rain a lot. It could just be drizzly. And if you've ever been to Cleveland, I've been to Cleveland. It's, the moment you step off the uh, plane, you just feel sad. as gloom. No wonder why LeBron left. No wonder why Kyrie had to get out of there. But overall, you know, if I have to give my prediction, this is this is actually tough because my brain is going against my heart and I'm picking, I'm picking against one another. I'm gonna go 17, 10, Houston. I think offensively, Deshaun Watson does a very good job of escaping the pressure from Miles Garrett. I think that the Cleveland Browns passing attack, which we know is not good, will have a fairly better day than what they've been having in the past, but nothing nothing extravagant. And I think bringing Bradley Roby back would do numbers for this secondary with him, that's bad. But without him, my gosh, we just saw how bad it was. But I think Houston wins this game on Sunday. I will say this. If Houston does not win this game on Sunday, I am not picking them to win another game this season.
0: Oh, well, to go back to your statement about LeBron James leaving Cleveland, he left two times. He didn't just leave. He left two times.
1: (laughs) That's how sad of a city, Cleveland. I walk downtown. If you walk downtown in Houston, at nighttime or on the weekend, you can feel some life. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I was walking downtown in Cleveland, and you know, I—I'm I'm not going to say what I was about to say, but it's bad. It's very sad. Um, what's the what's the donkey of Winnie the Pooh? Igor. Yeah, that is what I'm. I'm kind of sad. I'm I'm shocked that you know that so fast, but that's what walking downtown of Cleveland feels like. It's pretty sad.
0: Yeah, and what else is pretty sad is the fact that I'm going to pick the Cleveland Browns to win this game. Um there's a lot going going against the Texans in this game. First and foremost, there is a high expectation for not only rain but heavy wind which means it's going to be very hard for the Texans to attack with their passing game which means they're going to have to depend on their run game and even though it showed it could be a little bit better with Duke Johnson I don't think Duke Johnson enough is going to be able to carry this team to a victory and on the flip side of thing you're talking about the Cleveland Browns passing game not being that good but they are playing against the Houston Texans secondary and with or without Bradley Roby, you're still talking about a pretty terrible secondary. And then of course you got to take into consideration the two headed monster that's going to be coming out of the backfield, attacking the Texans. When you take a look at Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt, I don't see a situation where the Texans are going to be able to contain either one of those guys. And this might sound a little crazy, but my bold prediction, I think, Nick Chubb is going to rush for about 120 yards. And I think Kareem Hunt is going to add 60 to 70 by himself. I think it's going to be that kind of a day for the Cleveland Browns. And and like I say, there's a lot going against the Houston Texans on Sunday. Hopefully they could pull it out, but I have little faith. I'm going to say Cleveland Browns 21-21. Houston Texans, 17.
1: And you know what? Your scenario and everything you laid out makes 100% sense. Uh, I think for Houston to win this game, they are going to have to get their tight ends involved, and the tight ends are going to have to make plays. So we're going to have to see Darren Fields. We're going to have to see Jordan Aikens. We're going to have to see those two and Pharaoh Brown. I know they're going to use him a little bit, but we're going to have to see the tight ends Uh, make plays on Sunday in order to give their offense a chance. And what I mean is when it gets down to those crucial third and sixes, third and sevens, third and fives, they're going to have to be really ready step up and make plays so this offense can continue drives. We know how difficult it was for Houston to continue drives and sustain drives early on in the season with the weather being how it could possibly turn out on Sunday. Um, it, it could be one of those situations where they're just not able to stay on the field, which is pretty bad because with this defense being so bad, uh, especially in the last couple of games, the offense has been able to sustain drives and the defense has still been bad. So if, if offensively, they're not able to stay on the field and get points and the defense is constantly on that field. Then Cody, what you put out there, Nick Chubb running for 120 uh, Kareem Hunt adding 60 to 70 possibly more that's very possible. And I also want to make sure that I say this, Houston can still win this game. Duke Johnson will be a very integral part of winning. Have to utilize him in the passing the game out of the backfield. I'm Johnson, sports guy Hickman. Don't forget to follow us on, on Twitter, at LockedOnTexans, and like us on Facebook.
0: And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter, at CodyDavis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y. D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.